0: This is the podcast for Ruf at the University of Texas, a community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org/ut or find us on Instagram at TexasRuf. My name is Jordan, and I'm the RUF campus minister here at the University of Texas, and I want to welcome you to RUF. So uh, what is RUF? Some of you might be here for the first time. You may be wondering, what, where am I right now? So let me tell you for a second about what RUF is, okay? So RUF is a community of students that is trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbors, because what we believe is that Jesus is the embodiment of love. And so here's what we do. Every week we meet in a large group like this at the women's bed. We meet in small groups throughout the week. We meet one-on-one over lunch and coffee in order to remind one another of how much God loves us and also to rest in his love. And so what I want you to do this and every week when you come here to a large group is I want you to rest. And I want you to breathe and I want you to exhale in the love of God for you. And I want you to know, too, that RUF is not an organization that is trying to use you or get you to do more things. But we actually want you to rest in what Christ has already done for you. And so whoever you are and whatever you believe and whatever you've done, I want you to know that you're welcome here at RUF. And you'll remember this semester, we talked about each last week, that each and every week we're going to be asking a question this semester. And that question is, who is Christ for us? Like, who is Jesus? Not who do I want Jesus to be and sort of what version or image of Jesus is my favorite, but who is Jesus actually? And so we're going to be looking at the Bible each and every week to answer that question. And you remember the last week we saw that Christ is our host. He's this host that invites us to a party. And this week I want us to see that Christ is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. So how many of you have ever seen one of these movies? Jurassic Park, E.T., any of the Indiana Jones movies, the BFG, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Catch Me If You Can, or Hook. Thank you. What all of these movies have in common, first of all, is that they are all directed by Steven Spielberg, who's one of the most famous and accomplished movie directors of all time. But another thing that they have in common is that they are all about children. They're all about children. See, uh, Steven Spielberg, growing up, had a really rough childhood. I mean, he struggled with anxiety, and fear from a really early age, and then he was little. His parents got divorced, and his dad moved out. And so childhood was like really traumatizing for him. And so what he's really doing then in all these movies like ET and Jurassic Park is is he's, is he's picturing children in this world that can actually be like really dangerous and really scary and feel really big and really vast. And in his movies, children face these really scary things. I mean, they they face things like dinosaurs or or aliens or more real-life things like loneliness or death or divorce and really in all of these movies there's a child in need of protection there's a child who needs some adult some man or woman to come and protect them and guide them through the dangers of life and look out for them and care for them really what all these children need is a shepherd and friends College is an amazing place, but can we just stop and admit for, like, two seconds that college can also be, like, really scary? I mean, it can. I mean, can we all admit that we, too, when we were in college, could use someone to guide us and to look out for us and to have our backs and to care for us and to shepherd us? Well, I want you to know that you have one, and his name is Jesus. I want us to look at him briefly tonight and see that Christ is our shepherd, And the way he shepherds us is in two particular ways. First of all, he makes us sit down, and then he satisfies us. So point one, he makes us sit down. So if you look back at our passage that Allie read for us, you'll notice that at the beginning of the passage here, in Mark, everyone is running around. First, we meet Jesus' disciples who were told had been running around for days, like doing things and performing miracles for Jesus— And so they've come back to Jesus, and they're exhausted, and they're starving. So what does Jesus say? Look at verse 31. Jesus said to the disciples, come away by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and the disciples had no time even to eat. They are so busy, they don't even have time to eat. Some of you feel like this. And then in verse 33, we meet the crowds, the second group of people. And this crowd, they are all running around too. I mean, they hear that Jesus and the disciples are getting into a boat to go to the other side of the lake. And so what the crowd does is they run and they stream from all these different towns and villages to meet Jesus and the disciples on the shore. So everyone is running. The disciples are running. The crowds are running. Everyone is running. The other day REF was tabling on Speedway on the first day of school and there were like thousands of people like walking up and down Speedway on the first morning of classes, right? But after a while, what I noticed is that I would see like the same people walking back and forth like three or four times in the span of five minutes, and what I very quickly realized is that like everyone was lost. Right, Like that because of COVID, I mean, not only were the freshmen lost, but the sophomores were lost too. Like half of campus was lost and had no idea where their classroom buildings are. And some of you are laughing because you were that student walking back and forth. But basically what happened then is that these um, these students would come up to me and be like, hey, can you tell me like where the engineering building is? And I would be like, I'm 32. I'm a dad. I have two kids. I have no idea. Right. I'm not your guy. So, um, but here's the point. Especially your freshman year. I mean, your freshman year really feels like you're just running around. And you're going in and out of parties, and out of classroom buildings, to all these different things. And you feel lost, and you feel confused, and you feel like the crowd in our story. But what does Jesus do with this? I mean, what does Jesus do when he sees the crowds? What does he do when he sees us running up and down Speedway, or running up and down Rio Grande? Well, look at verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. The word here in the Greek, it's very visceral. It says literally that it was like Jesus's guts and his heart poured out for them. That is how strongly he felt for them. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you start to read the Bible, uh, one of the things that you'll start to notice is that they're like sheep everywhere. Uh, In fact, the Bible's favorite metaphor for describing what it means to be a human being is this metaphor of sheep. It says we're like sheep. Now, why is that? I mean, why does the Bible say we're like sheep and we're not like dogs or cats or rabbits or something? Why sheep? Well, here's why because sheep, as you may know, are like notoriously helpless and they're notoriously dumb. And they're always running off and wandering from the fold. They're always endangering themselves to predators like cougars and lions and bears and wolves. And sheep also have this like one track mind Adderall thing going on where they can only focus on directly, whatever's directly in front of their face. And so what they'll do is, is they'll like eat a patch of grass and then they will eat the patch of grass directly in front of that and then directly in front of that. And that's why they want it. And that's why they end up like hundreds of yards from the rest of the fold. But also, sheep have a really hard time resting. There's this man named Philip Keller, and he is a writer who spent many years of his life working as a shepherd in the Middle East. And he says, one of the things that you have to understand about sheep is that it is impossible for them to lie down unless four requirements are met. The only way they can rest is, first of all, if they are free of all fear. Sheep are very skittish. They're very scared of animals. So not just like lions and tigers and bears, but also like little rabbits or little sheep dogs, there can be no animals in sight in order for them to lay down and rest because they're afraid. But second of all, in order for them to rest, they also must be free... Of conflict and competition with one another evidently sheep are very like competitive creatures and they're always sort of comparing themselves with one another and getting these different beasts with other sheep and so in order for them to rest you have to find a way to make the sheep be at peace and to get along but thirdly sheep must also be free of these little things that aggravate them. And so sometimes they'll get like little flies and parasites on them. And so what the shepherds will have to do is just douse them in insect repellent so that they'll finally go to bed. And fourth, they must be free of hunger. They can't be hungry. Like us, sheep cannot fall asleep on an empty stomach. So the shepherd must feed them. And so we'll talk about hunger, this fourth one, in a minute. But let's think back again to these first three things that sheep need in order to fall asleep. Because they actually sound a lot like us. They must be free of fear, they must be free of comparison, and they must be free of little things that gnaw at them. I mean, think about fear. I mean, how many of us spend our lives running around because we are afraid? I mean, we're afraid of failure, we're afraid of the future, we're afraid that we won't live up to our parents' expectations for us. We're afraid that we'll never be desired or get married. I mean, we're afraid that we'll never get the job that we want and be rich and successful. I have a friend that I call whenever I'm on a run, and this is how our conversation always begins. He'll ask me, hey man, what are you doing? And I'll say, I'm going on a run. And then he'll always say, from what? And it's like a joke, right? What are you running from? But it's also not a joke, because all of us spend our lives running from something. How many of our lives, secondly, how many of us spend our lives comparing ourselves constantly with other people in this constant competition, this constant focus on other people? We compare ourselves to her and we see she's prettier than me. We compare ourselves to him and we think he's smarter than me. We want the girls to look at me like they look at him. Or we want the guys to look at me like they look at her. And this comparison and this competition just, like, gnaws at us, and it keeps us up at night. But what about third, these little things that are always just sort of bugging us and aggravating us? I mean, things like tests and papers and assignments and deadlines and meetings and internships, they never go away. It's one after another. Fear, comparison, little things that bug us. Friends, we are sheep, too. And it is really, really hard for us to sit down. So, what does Jesus do in our passage? He makes us sit down. He has to make us. I mean, look at verse 39. Jesus makes some food for the crowd, and then it says he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. He has to command them to sit down. Please sit down. It is okay. You can actually rest. Uh, Some of you know what Jesus' last words were on the cross. Do you remember them? Do you remember his last words? What did he say? He says, it is finished. It is finished. Meaning, it's all over. You don't have to run and strive anymore. I mean, I've done everything necessary to forgive you, to save you to cleanse you, to satisfy you. It's over. It's finished. It's done. You can sit down because he's the good shepherd and he has done everything you need in order to rest. First of all, he's defeated everything you're afraid of. He's defeated everything scary. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. You have nothing to be afraid of and so you can rest. But also, he's defeated comparison and competition. Because in Jesus, you have everything that you need, like right now. And so you don't have to prepare yourself anymore. And then also, he defeats these little things that aggravate us and gnaw at us. Tests, assignments, and all those things. Because he says to you, they're important, but even if you were to fail every one of them, he would still be with you, and he wouldn't leave you. It is finished. Sit down. In college, my R.E.F. minister at Ole Miss used to say, "Yeah, this line that he would say, and he would say, sometimes one of the most Christian things you can do is take a nap. And that is true. Like, some of you need to take a nap and just sit down and rest. It is finished. So that's point one. Jesus, as our shepherd, makes us sit down. But then point two, he also satisfies us. So going back to the passage for a second, uh, we see in this passage that not only is everyone running around and exhausted, but everyone is really hungry, right? I mean, again, the disciples, they've been running around so much, they haven't even had time to eat. The disciples are hungry. The crowd is hungry. Everyone is hungry. And so then the question for the rest of the passage becomes, how are all these people going to find something to eat? Who's going to feed them? And over and over again, what we see is the disciples, like, racking their brains with ideas and these different kind of solutions for how they're going to feed the crowds. When literally, the God of the universe, the one who made the world, is standing, like, right there. But they're trying to come up with all these other things. And so they say, what if we do this? Why don't we uh, send the crowds away to town and they can buy themselves something to eat? That's kind of their first idea. And Jesus says, no, that's not going to work. Uh, You give them something to eat. So then the disciples say, "Uh, Jesus, this is ridiculous. I mean, like, please, in order for us to pay for all these people to eat, it would cost us 200 denarii. Which essentially means a half a year of paychecks. It's like taking... You get out of college. You get your first job in Dallas Houston, And you just rip up the first six months of your paychecks in order to feed the crowd. They're like, we're not doing that. Right? So that's not going to work either. So what are we going to do? We can't send the crowd into town to buy themselves something to eat. We don't have enough money to buy them food either. And so Jesus asks them, okay, well, what do you have? Like, do you have any food already? And they say, well... Yeah, I mean, we have five loaves and two fish, but I mean, that's not going to be enough to feed everyone here. But Jesus says, bring me what you have anyway. Just bring it to me. And so the disciples are like, all right, whatever. Here you go. And so they bring in the five loaves of fish, excuse me, bread and the two fish. Jesus makes them all sit down. He takes the food. He looks up to heaven. He blesses it. He has the disciples pass it out. And then, somehow, we get to verse 42. And this is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they all ate and were satisfied. I mean, y'all, imagine this scene. 5,000 people passed out on the grass, bellies full, taking naps. It's kind of like on Thanksgiving uh, when you stuff your face and then everyone goes to the couch and turns on the Cowboys game and like watches like the first quarter and then falls asleep, right? I mean, this is kind of the scene here. Everyone is lying down the green grass, dozing off in the sun, and there are leftovers everywhere. I mean, the disciples are worried that there's not going to be enough food, and now the problem is that there's too much. Twelve baskets worth of leftovers. One, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12. That is how much Cheesy satisfies them. Uh, many of you have seen the famous Tom Brady interview on 60 Minutes, where they ask Tom Brady, who's one of the most successful athletes of all time, um, and let's also be honest, like one of the hottest athletes of all time, am I right? Uh, which of his three Super Bowl rings mean the most to him? Tom, which of your three Super Bowl rings, this is when he was only 27, mean the most to you? He's 27 years old. He's won three Super Bowls. He's married to a supermodel. He's really, really hot. Tom, which of these three rings means the most to you? And what does he say? The next one. The next one. And then he says this. It's almost like he wrote this for my sermon, but this is actually what Tom Brady said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and I still think there's something greater out there for me? I think, God, it has to be more than this. This can't be all that it's cracked up to be. And so the CBS guy interviewing him asks him, okay, well then, what's the answer? And he says, I wish I knew. I mean, friends, we are all so hungry. I mean, we're all so hungry. And we spend our lives trying to find food that will actually fill us up when Jesus is standing right there. He's right there. I mean, like the disciples, we say, uh, maybe I should go into town and buy myself something to eat. And so what do we do? We go out to all the towns and villages of the world and we try all these different things to fill us up, right? I mean, we go into the town of, of pleasure and sex and relationships and then we go over to the town of accomplishments and good grades and then we go over to the town of sort of moralism and I'll just clean myself up and I'll just feel good about myself because I'm like a nice person. And then we try the fraternity house and then we try the sorority house and I mean, really, How is it working? How is it working? Like the disciples, we doubt that Jesus could really fill us. I mean, can he really do it? We start doing math. 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish. It's too much for Jesus. He can't actually fill me. I mean, Jesus can't actually satisfy me. There's just no way it's going to work. I love what one pastor says. He says, the disciples are so realistic. They do the math. They count to seven. Five loaves, two fish, seven. It's not enough for 5,000. But as this pastor says, it is never rational to count Jesus out. You can't count him out. Christians must always learn to count to eight. And really, I would say, any of us who want to follow Jesus in this world need to learn to count to 12. I mean, remember how much is left over 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And so I encourage you to ask yourself tonight, I mean, where in my life am I counting Jesus out? I mean, where am I saying to him, five loaves, two fish, it's too much, he can't do it. I need to take matters into my own hands. Where are you counting Jesus out? And what ways am I thinking that life and satisfaction and meaning and purpose are up to me. Friends, don't count Jesus out. Twelve. Twelve baskets of leftovers. There's a woman I love named Sarah Condon, and Sarah does this at kind of this like Christian advice column where people will write in and they'll ask her questions sort of about like what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to read you one of these letters that someone wrote into to her because it's all about satisfaction. Okay, here it is. Dear Sarah, objectively speaking, I have a pretty good life, but I always want to be somewhere that I'm not. I want a different and better job. I want a different and better house and a different and better place. But I know I would be happier if I didn't want these things so badly. I don't want to want these things. I want to be satisfied. So how do I stop desiring what I don't have? Signed, longing for more. And then Sarah says, Dear Longing, same girl, same. I mean, every time I see anyone in my life getting a promotion, I think, why didn't I get that job? And that job could be manager at Panera Bread, or it could be being the queen of pop like Britney Spears. It doesn't matter. It also doesn't matter if I'm qualified for that job or not, because, like, I deserve it. For whatever reason, I should always assume everyone else is somehow happier with their circumstances than I am. And this oftentimes leads me to despair. There's research that suggests that satisfaction is a byproduct of age. So maybe don't be so hard on yourself if you're younger than 60 and you're thinking and feeling this way. Because really we all are. And don't try and shame yourself into being a happier person. I've tried and it just leads to lots of ice cream consumption. And in so many ways, friend, your longing is actually very Christian because this world is a brutal place. And it's filled with violence and tyranny and white suburban moms like me who think they deserve all the job offers. We all long for something better than this world because even at its best, it is still so broken as we are so broken. Ultimately, we just long to be loved. And then this is how she closes. She says, honestly, I don't have any advice to offer. Only the comfort and consolation that you're in the company of like-minded sinners. All I know is that we can trust that Jesus is for us, and that maybe perhaps everyone is actually struggling just as much as we are, even, and perhaps especially, Britney Spears. I mean, friends, what I love about this is she's just naming so many true things. The person that you think has everything is struggling just as much as you are. They are just as hungry as you are, and you are all equally hungry for God. So tonight, Jesus is inviting you to eat of him. He's inviting you to eat him. I mean, friends, being a Christian is not just about doing the right things or believing the right things. It's actually about eating God. It's about eating. It is about eating Jesus and feeling Jesus go down into your bones so that you're never hungry anymore. So come to Jesus and feast with him and learn to count to 12. Tom Brady. One, two, three. The next one. Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So as we close tonight and as the band comes back up, I just want to pray over you uh, the words of Psalm 23. Uh, it's the most famous psalm in the Bible. Some of you probably know it. And as I pray these words over you, I want you to tell me uh, if they sound anything like the passage that we just read, and if they sound anything like Jesus, who is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He prepares a table of bread and fish before me. In the presence of my enemies, he anoints my head with oil, and my cup overflows like leftovers. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Prince Christ is your shepherd. Amen.